Hold up. We said we're done with the serious intros. Who's it? Well, we did. I don't remember that. Well, I said it, and you're me, so, you know. Well, I don't care. In a world. Uh, hey, I told you. We're keeping it light. You do it on your own, then. Well, technically, I already am, so. Anyway, fuck yeah. Pure wild flight. Get it down, ya. How good? Visit nzaerosports.com. I get to do the next one. Well,. Obviously, you moron, we both do. I was 19, broke, unemployed, and sold my girlfriend's canopy for drug money. So, I thought I'd better sew her a new one. What a sentence, and what a story. This describes the humble yet outrageous beginnings of NZ Aerosports, the home of Icarus Canopies, in the words of our founder himself. From getting a paratrooper toy from his mom, watching parachutes at the DZ as a six-year-old, jumping off the wharf with a parachute made from bedsheets, doing his first jump at 16, sewing his first canopy on a borrowed machine at 19, and starting to sell parachutes out of a garage in 1986, Paul Gyro Martin had an undying love for the sky. Our company started with one man with the wildest of spirits in a true blue sky dream, a renegade. In the time that Gyro created and ran the Icarus Canopies brand until he passed away in 2017, he pushed everything he had to its limits. We miss him and we always will. Gyro is the next generation of NZ Aerosports. It honors our founder, of course, because it was the name we all knew him by, but Gyro the rebrand also marks the start of a new chapter, our next jump. Gyro is the space between sound and silence, art and science, chaos and calm. Gyro is a state of epic tranquility that transcends understanding. That moment, in the door, in free fall, mid-swoop, where nothing but the present exists. A perfect balance of euphoria and thrill. Gyro captures our passion for flying and our commitment to designing break-the-fucking-rules canopies that deliver pilots pure, wild flight. Coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go! Back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void. And I've been tracking this one down for a little while, and I know a lot of people would love to hear from the uh, face on the opposite side of the screen. Please tell me, who the fuck are you, and what do you do? My name is Will Penny, and uh, I've been skydiving for pretty much my entire life. I'm a second-generation skydiver, and I've worked in a couple different areas of uh, the sport, and right now, my main focus is um, is on coaching. Nice. Coaching and uh, coaching for some events. And I create some of my events, some of my own events, collaborate with, with a few event organizers. But pretty much the bulk of my activity is uh, private coaching. Very, very cool. And I'll tell you, you just gave me the perfect segue into how I always start the podcast, which is how did you get started in anything extreme? And you already told me you were born into it. Yeah. Uh, my, my parents started a drop zone. 
in South Africa in um, the late 80s. They were working in hospitality and a big event, a boogie organizer rocked up to my dad's hotel and said, look, we want to do a boogie. And he was like, you want to do what? And uh, he said, okay, well, I can help you with the, with the logistics. And then he saw this crowd of people having a bunch of fun jumping out of planes and having a blast at night and causing a, a lot of shit, you know? So he was, <laughs> I identify with these guys. So let me give it a go. So he did his first tandem in uh, 1980, what was it? 80, 86. Okay. And then uh, pretty much a few years after that, uh, he decided to build the drop zone because the closest drop zone to them was like a three hour drive. So they just decided to go for it. And then they bought a, a small aircraft, a, a Cessna, and uh, they were running some, some pretty massive boogies in the late 80s to mid 90s in South Africa with Hercules and, and, and Kaza and, and big events, uh, what, big organizers at the time. Uh, so that was pretty much my, my childhood. You know, most of my childhood growing up was going to the drop zone and, um, and, and I actually, actually loved it even then, you know, I was super into it. I used, to, I was packing since I was nine years old and I was, I was always hanging out in the harness, like doing my cutaway drills. I probably did about 5,000 cutaway drills before I even did my first jump. And then I remember one day I was at the drop zone and I was 10 years old and I was for some reason a bit like in a mood or a little bit bored. And I was like, oh, this, this is kind of boring. Like we were away for the weekend. And then my dad said, well, do you want to jump? And I was like, well, what do you mean? And he said, yeah, well, you can do a tandem. And I was like, okay, let's go for it. So did a tandem. Uh, that was in 1991. I was 10 years old and I still remember it like yesterday. I bet. And then, and then uh, pretty shortly after that, uh, well, five years later, I did an AFF. I got a special exemption to do AFF a little bit early because of the background of my family. So I did AFF when I was 15 years old. Wow. I mean, that's – I. It, it's not shocking to me that people are doing AFF at that age when they're raised into it like you were. It would be a little bit different if a 15-year-old just gets permission from mom and dad who don't jump you yeah. know, to, to go out and do AFF. Actually, funny story, because I have an elder and a younger sister, and my elder sister started AFF when I was about 13. And uh, I remember my dad spoke to the instructors, and he said, hey, if you want, you can do AFF now. And And I remember I was like, not that I didn't want to do it, but I was like, it's okay. I, I want to wait two more years. So I could have even started a bit early. But anyway, 15 is a good age to start, I suppose. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then skydiving was kind of slow for me in my teenage years. I was still at school. And then when I finished school, I, I took one year off to as a gap year, let's say. And I was traveling in Australia and Indonesia, surfing and skydiving. And then I went back to South Africa to study. I, I have a, a education in industrial design. And then when I finished industrial design, my, my education in Cape Town, I was like, okay, well, I did pretty well in design and I really enjoyed it. But I also really enjoy skydiving. What should I do? And then I asked my parents. I remember the conversation. It was in their kitchen. They were living in Kenya at the time. I said, what should I do? I'm at this intersection in life. And they were like, are you seriously asking us the question? You know the answer. And, that was what they said. and I was like, okay, uh, thanks thanks for the, the guidance there. So I, I went off and um, actually after that, I came to Spain because I wanted to see what was happening in Europe. And I just I fell in love with the, the culture, the lifestyle, and the drop zone is a, is a 
powerhouse for for skydiving. And uh, the next thing you know, nineteen years have flown by. This will be my twentieth year here. You know, it goes fast, doesn't it? Yeah, crazy. It's uh, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that your parents uh, uh, told you you already knew the answer to the question you were asking them, and it's funny because I've had people say that before. And you look back at some of the decisions you make growing up and realize I fucking knew what I was going to do, even though I I was trying to pretend to myself that I didn't know. And you lie to yourself yeah. and play the game, but you know what you're going to do. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's a fair, fair game to play that you look at those intersections that we have in life and you wonder what would have happened if you had taken the other direction, but absolutely no regrets. Like I'm, I feel incredibly uh, blessed with with my my life. Sure, that skydiving has brought to me. I've I've, uh, I've exceeded my expectations and I've achieved uh, more goals and dreams than I I could have even imagined when I was a kid. So um, I'm incredibly grateful for that. Well, you know, I mean, it's it's a testament to really anybody that started out 20 years ago to have a career like. It's it's one thing to have a job and you're you're bouncing around chucking drogues and shooting video and whatever and you have a great time for a while and then you end up moving on but to have a lifelong career in it starting then yeah. is an incredible achievement it really is I mean it's a yeah. very small percentage of people yeah you're right you know and uh, and it's something that I only kind of realized in the past five years some people are like well it's 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 pretty impressive uh, and I was like oh but it's it's just been my reality but. But I started uh, on the bottom, you know, bottom of the ladder. I was uh, first job in Imperial Bravo was cleaning the pool and cutting the grass. Then I started packing. And then the next season I started doing videos. So I was, I did a fair share of tandem videos. I did like 7,000. But at the same time, I was, I started to do a bit of coaching and I was always training in free fly. At that time, we had the free fly world champions here at Babylon. And then they asked me to come into the school. So I was, like uh, a part of Babylon while I was still working for the drop zone. And then at some point I remember it was like a Sunday afternoon and I'd done like 20 tandem videos. It was about nine at night because we jumped till late here. And then they called my name for another video. And I was like, you know what? Like if I'm being honest with myself, like I don't want to go. Hmm. Like, it, like uh, I'm kind of getting done with this tandem video thing, you know? So I was at this intersection again uh, and I was like, okay, well, if I don't reinvent myself within the sport, I'm going to end up uh, burning one of my passions. So I took a leap of faith, quit my job, and uh, decided to start competing. Nice. And, uh, and that was a huge uh, reinvestment into the sport of time and resources. Sure. And, and that was a yeah, big game changer for me to branch into a whole other sector of the sport. Sure. And then, and then since then, uh, that, that journey was five years of competing. And then from there, it took me on to being 100% uh, in, in private coaching and, and coaching, you know? Sure. So, you know, it's so funny that y you'll talk to people that are outside the sport and outside the industry, and you tell them, I quit my job to continue to go to where I worked to do exactly what I was doing. And they, they, yeah, they can't wrap their head around it. Wait a second. You quit your job, but you're going back to the same operation and putting yeah. on the same equipment and jumping out of the same planes. You're just doing something different on the way down. Yeah. I just, I didn't also kind of got a little bit tired of the corporate game, a corporate, corporate that skydiving can be, but you know, you, you were, you were in Dubai. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, skydiving, it's not a club. 
it's a professional drop zone. So I was getting a little bit, a couple things, you know, like uh, a bit repetitive, the job uh, of, of shooting videos, uh, but it, it brought me a lot. Uh, but it just inside of me, it got a little bit repetitive. And then just working for a drop zone and, and having to answer for people, answer to people, sorry, that, that kind of ran its course. So then I was like, no, like from now on, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to call my own shots. I'm going to decide who I'm going to work with, how I'm going to work with them. And, uh, you know, just uh, take take a little bit more control of, of my own professional life. Sure. And, and that's been very liberating. You know, that, that gives me a lot of freedom and a lot of um a lot of space to make my own choices and uh, I, I do my best to to make the best choices. I'm fortunate in that way that I can more or less choose who I want to work with. I have quite a bit of demand for work and uh, I can decide where I want to go and, and who I want to work with, you know? So, I mean, that's kind of the, the pinnacle, right? That's the ultimate goal for at least most of the skydivers that I know is to finally get to a point where they're the one calling the shots. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, did you, did you just strictly shoot video or did you ever end up uh, hauling meat? Were you doing tandems at all? Oh no, I never, I never threw a drogue in my life. Lucky fucking bastard. I've got just, just over <laughs> 20,000 jumps now. And I've done seven tandems as a passenger when I was a kid. So I've never, never thrown a drogue. I, I it, it's a super important role. Uh, so much so that, that the guy who took me, on my first tandem, laid a path for the rest of my life, you know? Sure. This guy, this guy was passionate, full of love for the sport. He he transmitted this to me. And there were some other guys uh, in my childhood, in my parents' drop zone, who, who shared that passion with me. And because of that energy that, that they had, that, that I could feel from them, I it sparked, a, it, it, lit, it lit a fire inside of me. Sure. So, I never had that. <laughs> so I was like, I'm not just going to do this thing because it's a fundamental part of the sport and then be the dude who's kind of like uh, not so stoked doing tandems. So it was never really my, my, my game, you know? You know, I, I can say that honestly, there's the same thing can be said about camera flyers though, as well. The, the energy and the fire that a camera flyer brings to that tandem student can be incredibly important. Um, yeah, I mean, because they're what you're seeing, you know, I, I as as a camera flyer shooting tandems, I would have a lot of interaction with the tandem student, or at least as much as you want getting them involved. And then you have more uh, intimate uh, um, interaction with a tandem student as an instructor. But the cool thing that the camera flyer gets to do in the long term is make that student look cool, right? Yeah. You're the one that's giving them the impression and you're you're solidifying for them a memory that they're only going to have kind of sketchy at best because I remember making my first jump, but I remember watching that video the first time as well and going, holy shit, that's what I was doing. That's what I, that was my face. That's, you know, because you blank so much of it out. So the, the camera flyer is such an integral part of um, drawing people into the sport through tandems. Yeah, no, you're completely right. And, and, and you know, when I was competing, I was my, my role was was a camera flyer. So all of that work I did made me interested in in photography and videography with the tandems. And then by the time I started co competing, I already had a bunch of jumps flying camera, and uh, and I'm really fascinated by uh, flying my canopy. So so it's all like many stories in life, right? It's the kind of build up of your different chapters. 
that, that if you want to carry those things forward, that help you to, to be in the place that you are today, you know? Sure. Well, and and I've talked to a number of professional camera camera flyers that gravitated towards the art of photography and the art of videography, and and it wasn't just about getting the shot; it was about getting the best shot. And uh, um, the ones that uh, became acutely aware that in a skydiving team, a team's only going to win if that camera guy is there to capture everything and and make them look just as good as they're performing. And it's yeah, you know yeah. you. you you and Cowie, who I, I know, you know, cause he's jumped out there a ton, you know, guys that have just made it their entire lives and done an incredible job with it. Yeah, no, no, definitely. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think in certain disciplines today, especially in the artistic events, the, the camera flyer role is in a way, how do I put this? Uh, well, in, in freestyle, you, you, you actually the one who's leading the jump. So it's, it's super important. And, um, and there's many people who have the skill to perform, but if you have to fly camera, you need to perform and fly. So this you've got more options to find performers with a good camera flyer than you do to find uh, to find good camera flies. Sure. You know what I mean? Like so so it's 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 a pretty it's it's a pretty important role. And um yeah, I, I really I really enjoyed that 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 journey, you know, because I think we have this tremendous opportunity especially now with social media to to share like what we've seen right and and some of the stuff we're doing is 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 pretty powerful visually and it's got a lot of emotion in it when you're traveling to these beautiful locations or or even even sometimes just the most random location doesn't have to be a spectacular backdrop but but there's there's emotion there and like the way that society's gone towards uh embracing this instant gratification of, of of social media like our our role as as a camera flyer or someone who's got a keen eye for this can actually be quite positive i think oh absolutely i mean it's a double edged sword right because i think uh, uh, social media uh, draws a lot of people into the sport thinking that they're going to be able to you know pull off these absolute ninja feats <laughs> like right away right and and i know that it's specifically in the sport of base jumping social media has been the cause of more than a fair share of uh, bruises and breaks from people pushing the limits but it also very, very polite right now yeah yeah trying to be <laughs> <laughs> it draws a lot of fucking idiots. <laughs> yeah, it's caused a lot of people to uh, to die, you know, and it's not going to stop neither. No, but that's that's because we're egocentric, and um, and and we love it, you know. Of course, but I mean, the flip side of that coin is uh, we're able to reach numbers of people that were unheard of when you and I started yeah. in the sport. Yeah, no, you, you're totally right, you know, and, and and that whole transformation has happened quite naturally. But before, I remember you'd be like. You'd be shooting with your digital camera and you'd be frothing if you got published in, in one random skydiving magazine. Right. Uh, somewhere around the world, you go, oh my God, I got published, you know, like this tiny little corner in the, of the page number 65 or something. Whereas now, which only would have like maybe a few hundred or thousand uh, prints, now you can like bust out a video, drop it on, on social media and get millions of views, you know? Right. So, you know, it, yeah, it, it's true. Huh? Like it's, and I, and I think more interesting for me is like, it would be, I think it would be weird to to believe that this is kind of where it's going to stay. Because if we were in like print and, and video, 
before now you're on social media like it's, it's got to go somewhere else you know like oh something else is coming yeah. something else is definitely coming it's it's funny though you get so many views but it's kind of it seems sometimes very random because i've seen videos that people have put out that are the most incredible videos that have itty bitty views, you know, not that many at all. And then I've seen ones, shit, I had one of me literally just rolling lazily out the plane on a hop and pop that had like 50, 60,000 views in, and I shit myself. I'm like, but I just, I literally just rolled out of the plane. Does that annoy you when, if you post something and you know, this is fucking amazing and it doesn't get what you think? Um, Yeah, I would have to say. (laughs) (laughs) Because... Because, you know, like you can do this most insane technical performance. Everything's absolutely just on point. And then like, uh, yeah, because let's face it, like we, we enjoy the views. It's again, it's, it's, it's a bit of a part of the gratification of, of what we, we're sharing. Sure. Uh, so you put up something that you think is like just 10 out of 10 and then it gets nothing. And then you do, like you said, you do something completely random. Like last year I had a good example. I had, uh in the summer i was like at home one night and i was like man i didn't post anything for the past few days i'm just gonna post a random clip of of us tracking with with a couple buddies and just selected a a, um like a soundtrack from from reels right like six million views and i was like oh come on and then you like travel somewhere insane beautiful performance you're like oh this one's gonna go go completely viral nada you know so yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think uh, not many people understand this part of the game, but, but anyway, I think there's uh, more important things in life than the amount of views we're getting. But uh, sure, although the uh, the the view numbers are uh, can be a direct reflection of a, another source of income, which a lot of people are looking to try and come up with unique ways to turn a buck in a sport that notoriously can be hard to earn a living in. Right? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I, I look at it in, in a different way. Uh, I'm not like into the monetization of, of the, the stuff that I do, but it's uh, more about the sharing, sharing, sure. my, experience, sharing my, my point of view and just the presence about being being present. Sure. And, well, uh, now, in regard to the social media stuff, I mean, you've got a, a, a huge following on on Instagram, but is that something that you cultivated or did that just come about through years of putting up great content? Um. Yeah, I I'm I'm not sure if if the cultivate and use thing they they seem quite connected to me. Uh, I I got on Instagram in 2013. So you've been at it a while. Yeah, but I was just randomly just doing something because uh, I've been interested in 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 seeing where where the tech is going, you know, with social media. Sure. I wasn't very active on it, but then uh, I think it was 2015. Instagram I actually bought one of my photos when they launched stories. Oh wow. And then they then I got like a bunch of followers and then uh, actually last year I I've just been chipping away, you know, just just doing my stuff like I, I don't really do it for for anything else besides uh, the, the fact that I'd like to share what I'm creating. Sure. Because, uh, I I've done some well, it, that's basically the reason. And then um last year I got a few videos in, in the space of like a month that that, that went viral, and I got like a hundred thousand uh, followers pretty quickly. But but I think um, yeah, and, and now now it is what it is. But but I yeah, I, I try to be a little bit consistent there because also I'm quite fortunate in the fact 
that I'm traveling quite a bit to really different locations. And then I just cherry pick a couple of cool moments there and, and put that out there. It's, it's, it's like a travel diary, right? For me. Sure. And then this is showcasing a, a large variety of locations and that I've jumped with and people that I've shared these moments with. And then, and then like I was saying before, these things start to feed each other sure. because you're present. People see you, then they see you there, then they see you there, and then they start to go, okay, well, I want this guy to be here. This guy's jumping with with, with uh, those people. So it's just about, um, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's kind of important to to be present there. It, it's not sure. the most important thing, but but for me, it, it's something I enjoy doing. I enjoy doing it because I have a, a bunch of cool content, what I believe to be cool content, and it's a shame just to delete those files or, or put them in a hard drive so i just well, i mean you it, it'd be a ridiculous person that doesn't think the content you're putting up is cool i mean you scroll through will penny's uh, instagram and you see this beautiful tropical island and then you see this epic shit going on over the palm and then you see all these crazy angle flights <laughs> none of which requires you to be a skydiver or base jumper or know which side of the fucking canopy you should be hanging under to appreciate how amazing some of that stuff is, right? I mean, it's it's just visually incredibly stunning. And it's also got to add to your request for coaching when people can sit and watch exactly what you're doing and know, I want to learn to do that. Yeah, you're 100% right. Like it, it definitely has uh, been a good promotion for for my activity. And, um, and, and yeah, it, as, for me, it's quite natural, and, and perhaps it, it also comes from a bit from my design uh, education, you know, the way that I'm putting my, my video stuff together, uh, which I try to do it in the most simple way. But, um, yeah, I never really thought about it so much in that way. But, but <laughs> I, think, I think you got a point, you know. But, yeah, just, just to showcase, uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be the most technically – uh, correct part of the jump or whatever, but it's it's more like this. It's about the emotion, right? So if you're in this awesome tropical location, there's a moment when you see this gorgeous background and some smiles or, or a nice landing on the beach. Like uh, who doesn't like to see that? You know, I love absolutely. Well, and I think too, as skydivers, we're very tuned into being able to read somebody in free fall. I mean, we're not chit-chatting up there. So all your communication is all eye contact and facial expression. And so to be able to see that picture with that amazing look on someone's face or to catch, you know, uh, somebody's glance in a free fall video and see, oh my goodness. And you can almost uh, insert yourself into that video because you know right where that person's at. Yeah, for sure. It's really cool. Now, you had mentioned uh, competition, and of course, you had about a five-year stint that you said you did a lot of competing. So tell me a bit more about your competition life. Uh, my competition day started in 2012 for our preparation for the Mondial in uh, Dubai on the Palm. And uh, I joined, I was in Babylon at the time, and I joined the free flight team at the, well, I joined the free flight team, a new free flight team in 2012 when we went to the French Nationals and uh, we won actually. And then they sent two teams to uh, to Dubai for the Mondial. And at the Mondial, we actually came uh, third. And then I was representing France at the time, even though I'm a South African uh, national living in Spain. But uh, basically, for <laughs> Babylon is a French school. So sure. uh, we, we were representing France with, my, the rest of my team was French. 
And then I had my license, but the team was just a one-year project. I had my FAI license from, from France. And then uh, my uh, freestyler, Johan Abbey, contacted me in 2013 because he also his team also split up. And he said, would you like to do a team? And I said, okay, let's check it out. Let's see how the human side works. Let's do some jumps. And uh, we did our first training just across the border of, of uh, Spain, where I live, and uh, in France. And it was just amazing, like really, really cool vibe, uh, insane flying. And then I, I went on that road for, for another four years. And um, I yeah. mean, it's it's got to be a pretty incredible road, right? I mean, to you're pairing up with somebody and giving 110% to achieve, you know, an incredible dream that uh, um, most skydivers really covet. I mean, when you're able to do something like that and put your all into it it's it's that's rare air yeah you're right you know it's um it there's a lot of uh, a lot of investment from your side like in terms of time uh money and um yeah personally like it's uh it, yeah it's quite a big thing especially in skydiving because you know in, in um in the tunnel, you can decide to do an hour of training, go to the tunnel today and do an hour of training. Skydiving, you can decide to do 60 jumps, go for a week and do 10 because yeah. of weather and, you know, so it, it takes a lot of time. But, you know, we were also in, in the right place in terms of having a tremendous support from Skydiving Pura Brava. They gave us, like, in our first year, 2012, like 700 team jumps here, sponsored. Um, and then when we went into the French team, we had, uh, I don't know, I think 500 jumps a year. Um, and the French Federation is incredible in that way. Like, they really support their their teams. Yeah. So, you know, and, and behind that, you've got a couple generations of competitors. So you're getting all of this knowledge from, like, the the OGs of, of competition. Right. And, and then they, they're transmitting this knowledge down into disciplines that didn't exist when they came up with these tools, you know? Sure. So I feel super grateful for that journey. Like the, I'm, I'm really honored to have been part of the French national team, and and that methodology of training and competing is something that I still carry with me every day that I skydive, and I and I, I transmit certain parts of that to uh, the people that I'm training with, right? Sure. I mean, it, it also it's a it's a very cool thing and, and a testament to the sport that it's so multinational, right? I mean, it's multinational, multicultural. It, to be a South African jumping in Spain, competing for France, and then traveling <laughs> the world is that's really cool. Yeah, no, you're right. Eh? You're right. It really is. I mean, because it, it what it tells me is that uh, once you're invested in the in the sport and in the community, it's not where you're from; it's that you're a skydiver. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, it's just yeah. part of the sport. So, when you decided to stop competing, was it a, a conscious thing? Like, all right, no, I've done this. I've achieved my goals with competing, and I want to go specifically to this. Or did it just kind of end up going that way? I was completely conscious decision. I felt like it. I, I, it had run run its course in my life, and um, and it was so good. It was really hard to let go, but I could have stayed there until now. Like my teammates in freestyle is doing his last competition now, which is, uh, I stopped in 16. So he's still gone on for, let's say like another seven years, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and that would have been great because the thing is like competition is cool, but training is awesome. You know, that, that that's the hardest thing to let go, at least for me was to, 
when you when you compete, you you have the best excuse to focus on a lot of training time. Like <laughs> nobody can touch it. You're like, no, no, training, no, yeah. No. So you make the best excuse in your life to to get better, and and that was a really difficult thing to let go because even if you're not competing, it's you're still gonna train, sure, but but not not that intensely, you know, sure. So, but at the same time, there were other things that I felt I really wanted that I didn't have while I was competing, time, sure. Money, uh, well, it's a huge personal sacrifice, right? I mean, um, yeah. not just not just in the wear and tear on your body and going out and having to really put your all mentally and physically into this craft that you're putting together, but you're sacrificing time and money and social life and all of that. I mean, that's got to be a, a really big personal sacrifice, no? Yeah, is it a sacrifice or commitment choice? Uh, I, I try to, to not really put the word sacrifice too much in my vocab because sure. uh, I, I believe that we can look at a lot of it sacrifice, but it's choice. Sure. Sometimes, sometimes it does feel like a sacrifice. <laughs> right. I, I agree. And that's exactly what I, I didn't want to make those compromises. And uh, I was like, no, okay, like uh, I'm good. So I, I stopped competing and um, I'm really happy with that decision. And uh it's ten years next year since I since I started. No, no, I lied. So it's uh, ten years since we won next year. But yeah, so it's been seven years now since I stopped competing. But I'm super happy with that decision. Don't get me wrong. Right? Like now I have a bunch of time. But it also it also <clears throat> goes back to what I was saying when I stopped my full time corporate skydiving job. I wanted to be in charge of my time, and uh, when you're in a team. You're in a team dynamic with uh, your teammates, so it's a super intimate relationship. And then you you're in a national team, and then you're representing a a, a a national federation, and you are on the time frame of international FAI competitions. So you are not the one who decides tomorrow you're going to I don't know Maldives or Bora Bora. You know, it's like sure, you, sure. So well. There's a lot on your shoulders. I mean, because it, it no longer just becomes about the competition. It's about the competition. It's about the sponsors. It's about all of these different things, you know? Yeah, definitely. But like, you know, like since then I've, uh, yeah, life is, life is great without competition too. Well. <laughs> like, like I loved it, but I'm, I'm in a good place now with, with uh, my personal life, with my personal professional goals and objectives. And, um, yeah, there's, there's more space for people I sure. find in my life now, and like and relationships like that. That was pretty hard for me because I I kind of just um, I never really went into competition just to kind of do it. I went into it to give everything I had. Sure, and that was uh, was a beautiful journey. But uh, wow, it's a, you're on you're on a different planet, huh? Yeah, it requires a singular focus. I mean, you exactly, yeah. Yeah, it, it's tough to let anything else in when you're doing that. And that's not to say that it's a bad thing. It just is yeah. what it is. You know, I mean, you're pushing for this particular goal and it takes something for it. But it sounds yeah. to me like you're very personally disciplined in your ability to go, this has been a good ride. This has been a good journey, but it's time that I stepped off of this ride and, and looked for the next one, which a lot of people can't do. But that's actually really cool because now that you mention it, you're right. Eh? It's yeah. uh, I never really made those those connections so clearly. Um, 
Yeah. We know we know a lot of people that have been shooting tandem videos and chucking drugs for a long, long time that are making good money where they are. And maybe it's not what they want to be doing anymore, but it's tough to walk away from because there's a lot of fear and, and insecurity and you don't know what's coming next to make that step. But you have to be able to do it if you want to keep going. And it sounds to me like you've always known, all right, this was fucking great. It's time to move <laughs> on. Yeah, I suppose it's the, the the fear of the uncertainty that maybe holds us back from uh, a lot of our growth, right? Comfort sure. zone, comfort zone. This is good. This is working. Why change? It's like the guy stepping into the unknown. It's daunting. Yeah, we have uh, walls of defense there naturally as human beings. But for me, uh, that that's where most of the space of our space for growth is. Sure. And um, but I also believe that like. Perhaps it's not necessarily what you do. It's more how you do it. Sure. So I'm not really too worried about what I'm going to, when I decide to do something, because I'm just going to apply the same life less lessons and, and process that I've applied uh, in, in to the things that worked for me. And sure. Just do everything and then uh, and see how it works out, you know? Well, and skydiving can be an incredibly fast teacher in regard to learning life lessons that most people take 20 years to learn. And you can learn in one season of skydiving, <laughs> you know, everything's kind of been fast forward and, and you're required to, to um, gain knowledge and skills in skydiving to stay safe um, and on top of your game that maybe aren't required in the real world. Yeah, that's a very good point. Huh? You know, uh, it's it's funny because I would figure that skydivers would go one of two ways. Most skydivers that I know have at least spent a fair amount of time broke as hell and, you know, eating ramen noodles on Saturday and drinking the water on Sunday uh, just to get by. Um, and then you get yourself into a groove in skydiving where you're making good money and either you're not scared to walk away from that because you've been broke before and you got out of it. Or you're scared as hell because you remember how bad being broke sucked. Yeah. <laughs> so it's tough. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, I, th that's a good point. I, I don't necessarily look at it in, in that way though, because I think we, we we need to carry on with with uh, moving forward with what we have. You know, kind of like 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 you mentioned to me earlier in the chat that you. Also, you've done your time doing the things that you really want to do. And now you're like, cool, I'm stepping into uh, the unknown and doing something different or whatever whatever that might be. But I really hope the days of eating ramen noodles for me and <laughs> yeah, me too. the next day are, are over. Yeah, and me I, too. I, I see my next steps being uh, better and, and more successful than, than where I am now. Well, I mean, it's it's a lot about self-awareness, right? Being aware enough to know when it, you're ready to, to take on the next challenge. Yeah, no, you're right. Which can be tough for people. So you, you decided to step away from competing and go strictly into coaching. Was it straight into, holy shit, I'm super busy? Or was there a time when you're like, okay, let's see how this is going to go? Uh, yeah, that's a really cool question. Um it actually, so when I was, when I left my job at the drop zone, I was doing a bit of coaching, but it was by no means my my main source of income. But I quit my I had a contract with the drop zone. I quit the contract, and then I was training, and I had like very sporadic amounts of events and a couple of students, but I couldn't really call that like 
like a job. Um, that was pretty tricky for me. Um, and then, so that was like from 13, even 14. And then from 15, I just, uh, just changed a little bit my strategy, became a little bit more ruthless. Uh, and, and since then it's, it's been, been pretty solid. So it was just the first few transitional years where things were a little bit, a little bit, uh, kind of scarce, you know? Well, and the the world of coaching has evolved quite a bit, though, in that time oh, yeah. as well, hasn't it? I mean, when I started skydiving, there was no such thing as a coach. You finished AFF, and then it was have a fucking nice skydiving life. See ya. You know, that was it. You're on your own. Yeah, yeah. don't buy don't buy that stiletto yet. <laughs> you know, that's that's about the coaching that I got. Um, absolutely you know greatest marketing tool ever by the way um sold a lot of stilettos just because people bought it when they didn't think they could shit which (laughs) were supposed to have it (laughs) now but i mean uh uh, coaching and i think uh and maybe you'll agree or disagree i think the tunnel is a huge reason why coaching the game of coaching has changed dramatically as well um because it's become so prevalent in the tunnel and it seems to, at least from my perspective, have transitioned into the skydiving world as well. Yes. I, I believe it, it. it's also, de- it's very dependent on the location, right? Like Dubai is a great example. Uh, and Emporia is another one. Like there's some drop zones that, that have a, a culture of coaching hmm. and they also have uh, the right coaches there. So it also depends where you place yourself, you know, um, and, and and here in Emporia Bravo, there's like a lot of, of uh, very experienced coaches in, in free fly and uh, in canopy flying and uh, in, in many disciplines, there's, there's a really high level of coaching. So over the years, it's got a reputation for that. So so people come here. But I think at the same time, like what you mentioned before was, was a good point, how like the tunnel has, has bred this culture of uh, coaching in the sports, especially when people start they do tunnel then they go okay cool like now i want to jump so let me follow with the same uh kind of training plan mm. i think also the what well, i believe that the that the skydiving market has changed quite a bit since when i was a kid like the, the demographic has changed a lot there's a lot more people who have a lot more time and a lot more resources sure so it, it uh there's a lot more people with with a bunch of time and uh budgets are, are pretty good and then they can open up uh, themselves to the idea of, of going away to to focus on on a good uh, good amount of coaching you know well i think the uh, um the more widespread the more mainstream skydiving has become at least in my time in the sport it's gotten to be so mainstream and considered so safe because of the record of skydiving that it really has drawn on people that would not have 25 years ago thought of going out and becoming a skydiver the bankers and lawyers and the people that yeah. let, let's face it yeah. that can afford to have yeah. this sport as a hobby well you're right and and that's awesome you know like yes that, that's great because it's a it, it's again that demands a healthy balance of time and resource um and you know like that that can be at slightly different levels but you can still make it work Sure, but, but but of course, uh, yeah, I think the image of the of the sports is is very different to what it was when I was growing up. To like when I was a kid, on my parents drops on, you know, it was. I remember seeing skydiving in a, in a film, and you're like, oh my god, there was skydiving in the scene. Now it's like he so many films with skydiving stunts, right? And and, and the sports, uh, you know, it, it's got a pretty 
a pretty clean presentation behind it now. There's like professional drop zones, and then things look look nice, uh, at least in most places. You know, I think people take care of the facilities. They they take they take care of the image that they were putting out there, and perhaps e- even in a way like uh, perhaps social media has helped to drive that change, right? Oh yeah. Because if you were doing a tandem in this like scabby hangar with a plane that's all the interior is falling off, uh, it's not going to be the most amazing promotion. So maybe people are taking a bit more care of the image of things. Sure. Uh, well, the, the I think the Fandango days are are gone. <laughs> Fandango, what a classic film! Oh huh? yeah, man, that was that was one of them. The the, the fan. Gold. The Fandango days are gone, and the days of the dirtbag skydivers, I think, are gone as yeah. well. It, you would have been around and seen it the same thing that I did uh, back when I got started. It was this was the the uh, birth of of free flying, and this was the uh, free fly clowns and and the flyboys. Yeah. And half of the time, you'd go to the drop zone, and the ones with the nastiest jumpsuit and the most torn up container were most likely the best flyers. And that's just the way it was. It was this grunge look that has now become almost a an F1 feel to it, right? Yeah, it's true. Now you'd be like, dude, uh, it's about time to change that suit. Or what, yeah, what's right? Sponsored? Like, why are they not hooking you up in your rig, buddy? Like, that's not professional, you know? <laughs> exactly. It's true, huh? Yeah, very true. It's changed a lot. And that's a good thing. It really yeah. is. I mean, it does nothing but make the reputation of the sport even better. And uh, um I think skydiving has worked really hard to get out of that phase and and earned the reputation as a as a safe extreme sport. You know, I mean, um, yeah. there there was a time when I started when you'd you know say it was safe ish, um, and now I happily say I consider skydiving a safe sport, just as safe as as going skiing a double black diamond, if not more so because there's no fucking trees to hit, you know. So what do you see moving forward? I mean, you're you're super busy with the with the coaching and all that. Are there any other major goals um in in line for you? Is there anything on the horizon or is it just you're loving what you're doing? Uh both. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I like to have uh, a couple of uh, big kind of outlandish projects that I'm working t- towards. Uh, I've got a few right now. And uh, I'm very happy with, with, with my life right now and the coaching and, and the lifestyle. It's, it's super nice, very comfortable. But that's also kind of a good time for me to then uh, shake it up in the deep end, <laughs> shake <laughs> it up, you know. So, uh, yeah, I've, I've got some stuff uh, in the pipeline. Uh, I'll continue to work f- with uh, private coaching, of course, for the moment. Like that, That's not going to change too much. We're looking into maybe starting a drop zone in a very cool location. Uh, you will find out soon if you follow my social media. Nice. Um, so that could be that will be an interesting journey for me, getting involved a little bit more in the like DZO side of things and a managerial role. Uh, and then I'm, I've got a couple of other interesting uh, stuff on the go. Like one thing that we've been working on for a few years that, that hasn't made it, it hasn't been released yet, but but we're getting this, working on um, a tech startup, which is uh, going to implement some uh, augmented reality into skydiving. Ooh. Yeah. and That uh, sounds cool. And uh, wind tunnel. Yeah, it's dope as fuck, to be honest. Technology, uh, man. Yeah, it's... yeah well, yeah. Please I mean, go ahead. 
we were saying before, like if you look at VHS uh, Chronicles uh, and, and Flyboy's Party Mix or whatever it was, yep. then, uh, yeah, social media, and then I said, where's it going next? This is something that, that I've been investing in because, uh, yeah, I mean, like the AR world is already being quite used, but it still hasn't been embraced by, by everybody yet. Sure. But maybe because we haven't, found the subtlety to implement it in a way that makes sense but 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 in the in the our short-term future short to mid-term future ai is going to become a lot more of a thing and uh so, so we're working on, on on something like that where we have uh like uh gamification in the wind tunnel and, and ideally in skydiving and then also uh, I would like to develop some safety systems with augmented reality for skydiving like you know, like, like um, I can think of a million applications yeah. with augmented reality that would be incredible. I mean, I'm sure that any um, longtime skydiver already has images jumping into their head of exactly okay. how amazing it would be to be able to augment the reality of what you're seeing in regard to safety specifically. Exactly. Yeah. Like TCAS, you know. Oh, for example. my God. Are you kidding me? Put, <laughs> make make canopy collisions a thing of the past. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's a huge, uh, that's one of be one of my biggest contributions I would like to leave uh, behind, let's say, because it's been sure. a long time. But so where we are with that right now is we've been playing with a couple of different uh, hardware components and a couple of different technologies. We have built uh, two prototypes and now we've just finished. Now we've made our first finished presentable prototype where we can actually go to to the right people to clients and um and show them what we have oh, we man. have one, we have one game that already works in the wind tunnel that we've been playing and testing because the tunnel becomes like our laboratory right sure and now we're developing another game but it's insane like i, I flew a bunch in the tunnel from like i don't know 2012 to maybe 18 19 and then i've been a bit slower with it but then we i shift a little bit more to focusing on this development of a new application to use the tunnel because sure. if, if you think about the wind tunnel it's actually very primitive technology where it's just it's a space with air and and, and we fly inside and we, we've evolved tremendously in our understanding how to utilize our body and the and the air but it stops there, right? So by adding a, a digital layer of information on top that you can interact with inside of the space is exponentially uh, exponential oh. growth uh, for the amount of uh, use for training, education, and just for gamification, you know? So, uh, but the hardest thing for us at this point has been to be able to integrate the hardware component into uh, a helmet. Mm. well yeah because you've got to fight the bulk right because you, yeah. you as soon as you've got a basically a heads-up display is what you're describing uh now you're talking about some pretty sizable equipment <laughs> yeah but also the thing is it's it's not like it's not the basic stuff which they're using for vr it's a little bit more uh what's the word like a little bit more complex system sure so so anyway we're there right now now we've got a really great uh prototype and we're developing a second game and we're going to be doing some testing in the next couple of months. So, so that's one area that, that's um, been working on for a few years. I'm not going to make it sound like I wake up at eight in the morning and <laughs> in the afternoon 
Monday to Friday and work on it, but right. it's a slow moving game. So we, we, we're, we're a company and uh, we have, um, everyone's got a different role. So we've been developing that for a while. So that's super interesting uh, in terms of like projecting where we're going to go. Sure. Uh, or where I would like to create the future for, for the sport, you know? Oh, absolutely. I'm, dude, I'm sitting here right now mentally playing a game in the wind tunnel, imagining <laughs> what I could be doing yeah. if you're able to project stuff into my visual field to oh, play a game. It's insane, dude. Like, like you cruise around and you touch holograms and then they know oh. what you're doing. They're like, oh. it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty, pretty insane experience, you know? Well, especially um, for stuff like training. And then the, the skydiver and yeah. the pilot and skydiver in me then sees the use like you said, TCAS. And for those don't know, don't know what TCAS is, TCAS is basically an early warning system to pilots to keep planes from flying into each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just, I'm, I'm imagining bombing out the door and I'm, you know, second exit out of five and out of the corner of my eye, I'm seeing little dots coming out of the airplane that tell me that's where the next group is. And when I'm under canopy, I've got a heads up that's telling me this is where all the canopies are and imagining how much wider your situational awareness instantly becomes. Yeah. I mean, you know, the way I think about this is like, so imagine before we had Cyprus, if you got knocked unconscious, oh, sorry, buddy, you're dead. Yeah. Okay. Now you're like, what do you mean? Like, that's random. So like, I would like to eventually arrive in a, in a point where we can implement some AR features into everyday skydiving where it'd be like, oh, what do you mean if you didn't see the guy, you crash into him? That's so random. <laughs> right. It can be like that. What do you mean canopy collision? Like, why didn't you see the guy? Why? Right. You, were, you were not using the system. No, it didn't exist. Fuck, that's so radical. Right, like, like same way we think about Cyprus now. Well, that's brutal. Like unconscious, you die. So I believe that there's space for the implementation of, of technology to help us uh, be safer uh, in in many ways, and also just the I think the potential for training, uh, and, and also just for having fun. Like the game, yeah. like we can fly like rings in the sky. You know, the, the, everyone's thought of this game, but we we we're getting close to be able to do that. Starlink. Starlink is going to help us hugely because we'll have Wi-Fi everywhere. And then also with the AI and machine learning, we can collect a tremendous amount of data. Yep. That's going to help us to uh, to understand what information to give in the right way so that it's not detracting from the user's experience. So it's, it's uh, th- there's a long journey there. Sure. But but we're on this we're on this path, you know. You know, it's funny. I wanted to say that I consider us probably to be the luckiest generation of skydivers because of all the things we get to see. But then it dawned on me that skydiving is still such a young sport that guys like Lou Sanborn and Bill Booth that helped kick off modern skydiving are still enjoying this shit with us. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it's true. And I mean, yeah, I think you made a good point because I don't know if this is just random thought, but I feel almost we're kind of in this middle generation. Yes. Because we, we, we weren't the pioneers. There was a couple of generations before. Yep. But we, we've also seen like where it came from. And we're in this middle. And and, and, and now what? The middle. It's been also another one after us. Yeah. And we get to see where it's going forward. But uh, but but I believe there's, there's a tremendous amount of growth for the implementation of technology. Much like the wind tunnel. It's a technology that revolutionized the sport. Yeah. So, um, it's yeah. it's an exciting time to 
um, for me to become a born again fun jumper and just kind of get to watch it all happen and experience bits and pieces of it. Uh, it's nice to not be in the cockpit all the time. So I get to see it happening and talk to the people like you who are at the forefront of all these new things. And I can't even, I, all I know is shit's just going to get cooler and cooler. I can't imagine yeah. what it's going to be, but with yeah. stuff like augmented reality and more and more safety and more and more freedom to just go out and have a whole lot of fun, it's going to be a wild ride. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It really I, is. I think we have a certain amount of, of uh, power within us to create that reality too. Yes. Yes. You know, we, we can invest and, and believe in in creating the future of the sport you know well and the, one of the cool things too is that in the sport everybody wants you to succeed i want you to succeed because what you're going to be yeah. doing is cool as hell so the there's lots of friendly competition in skydiving but at the end of the day yeah, we all want point. skydiving to move forward right it's a super good point yeah you might have competitors but uh, in in manufacturing but they're all buddies it was like you and me best friends we started making something together we went our own ways but we're still friends you know it's exactly a, well it's it's like you you've got an optimum shirt on and i've got an n zero sports uh sign hanging behind you. me exactly <laughs> we're the competition <laughs> a little it's, bit it, a little bit <laughs> it, it, it's it's funny because i have i've had the pd boys on and i've had the n zero sports guys and of course i'm sponsored by n zero sports and it's uh, their podcast with me yeah. but it's one big family and yeah, it, of course it, not the, if you were to ask one manufacturer if they could snap their fingers and get rid of the others, would they? Every one of them no go, way. fuck no, these are my no, friends. No, 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 no. Exactly. Yeah. Everybody's no. pushing forward. But that's a really beautiful comment that you just made. Like everybody does want everybody to succeed. And and and, and that's what we've seen, you know, like our with this example of the, the AR project, like our biggest steps forward have been from uh friends being involved that have tested it that spoke to another friend because this guy's looking for that and that's life right because it's such a small industry that as soon as you spark the interest or you hear about a common passion or or, or drive to do something everyone's just going to connect you to the, the people because the right people because the, the industry is the is in the palm of your hands you know absolutely absolutely well and it's Again, it always, always falls back to the fact that skydiving is a is one huge community worldwide. It's just, yeah, you're right. You're right. it's just yeah. one big community. We all have a very common bond, and even though we're different people and we don't always get along, we've all got the same goal in mind, which is safety and skydiving and going out and having a lot of fun with our friends. Yeah. So tell me, people want to come coach with you. It's a, kind of an exclusive club. I know you work really hard. So um, how do they get a hold of you for coaching? Do you travel for coaching? What's the deal? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty much based in Empura Brava. I like to believe all year long, but that's not true. <laughs> it's mostly from April until about uh, end of October. I'll, I'll, I stay here. I, I do my best not to travel in those months. Um, and then from the, in the winter months, I'm a bit more happy to travel. Hey, I, I love the adventure of traveling. I love uh, meeting new people or going back to meet uh, same people. And, uh, you know, my, my local stomping grounds, it's always good. Uh, so I get some requests to go abroad in the winter. Well, basically, I get requests to go abroad, but I generally 
try not to ex- not to push for those unless they happen in my winter months. Mm. Um, so that can take me anywhere around the world. Otherwise, uh, from now until so April until the end of October, I'm in Empuria Brava, and then I bring all of my work here. Cool. So, so people usually contact me. They find me on Instagram and write me there, and then we we start a, a chat, and then I send across my my terms and conditions, and we have a, a little chat just to make sure we're on the same page, and then, um, and then in the winter months, like when people want to train. Uh, I do my best to to move to slightly more reliable weather, you know? Sure. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, that sounds like a pretty damn good life to me. Yeah. No, I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining. <laughs> yeah. Summer's in Spain, winter's traveling to warmer climates, man. That doesn't sound too bad. Well, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's very cool um, that I was able to finally get time to sit down and talk to you only because you've been a busy guy, um, but you were infinitely approachable um, and got back to me right away on Instagram. So for people that are looking for coaching for you, um, feel confident that if you send a message on Instagram, you're going to hear back. Um, it was honestly a real pleasure talking to you. And I was quite surprised to hear about the technology stuff. And now I'm really fucking excited. <laughs> Well, uh, you, you watch this space. So we're going to have an interesting few months, and this year is going to be big. We got some other really cool sectors, uh, a little bit disconnected from skydiving that we that we started to build some relationships with. So, um, pretty positive that we're going to take some great steps forward this year. That's but epic. Thank you, thank you so much for reaching out, and uh, it was really really pleasant to to chat to you. Yeah, man. I really appreciate you contacting me and and uh, for your time. I want to put a thumbtack in having another conversation once you know what's going on with um, the potential for you being a DZO. And as we get into the technology and stuff, um, this definitely requires a, another sit down so everybody can Absolute follow. Absolute pleasure. Will, man, thank Thanks you so much. much. Thank Take you, care. sir. Bye Have bye. a good evening. Bye-bye. Well, there you have it. Another episode of the Lunatic Fringe Podcast brought to you as always by, well, wait, not as always, actually. Brought to you now by Gyro. Formerly known as NZ Aerosports, you'll head to gyro.com for their next level line of canopies. By Pussfoot, the Extreme Sports Collective. Head over to pussfoot.com to check it out. By Summit Parachute Systems, check out summitparachutesystems.com to talk to Jarrett Martin and the gang about kick-ass pilot rigs, rigging courses, and more. By Flyaway Indoor Skydiving, go to flyawaytn.com and check out all the cutting-edge stuff to come. By Pure Spectrum CBD, head to purespectrumcbd.com to check out their wide range of CBD products. And as for us, head to the lunaticfringepodcast.com to listen to any of the hundreds of episodes currently available, hit the link for our YouTube channel, pick up your copy of the Lunatic Fringe book or The Accidental Stripper, and get a sneak peek at upcoming guests. Once again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.